You are listening to the Revive the World Ministries podcast. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.org or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. Uh, it's it's good to be back. Lindsay and I were on vacation last week in Colorado. Some of you saw that on social media for our anniversary, and I love Colorado. Uh, I found out why uh, hair grows out of our faces in Colorado. <laughs> it's good to have a beard. I'll tell you that. When it's and I actually, you know what? For years and years, I used to work outside and <clears throat> did line locating and, and different things and company on the north side and different foundation work and stuff we traveled all around so I was outside constantly and I hated winter right (laughs) I just hated winter time and then I found out that you can have a lot of fun in the snow so I just need a snowmobile that's all and so we don't get enough snow around here to enjoy winter like it should be enjoyed so I'm just gonna have to be real intentional I joked with Lindsay on the way home and, and said we got some friends that live out there some of you know them um out in Denver. Actually, I have a couple friends that live in the Colorado area now. And I said, I, mean, I wonder if anybody wants to plant a church out here. I can probably help, help oversee this <laughs> and be out here three, four times a year, you know, because it's just real easy to get to. So, <laughs> so let me, uh, I'm going to share a testimony with you. Some of you um, knew that I had, I had back issues. I've had back issues for a long time. I damaged my back uh, years. I've danced my back many times, uh, weightlifting, doing foundation work, running jackhammers, carrying concrete up and down basement stairs, you know, just making a living and then some things that were just dumb, you know. Um, so <clears throat> I had a degenerative or degenerate, yeah, degenerative disc in my lower back, uh, in the back, in the back pain that went with it and a lot of damage, just a lot of scar stuff in there. And I have x-rays from it. And I told some of you guys this, um, but I'm, I'm telling you again for a reason, because uh, I, I feel like God wants to do something in this area the, before we get started. Um, but there was a lady and her team that prayed for me at Voice of the Apostles, and I have uh, got complete, my back is completely healed. Um, I couldn't do anything without pain, I'm telling you. Um, I got back into playing softball this year because I, I enjoy it. And uh, so just being with a bunch of dudes that, uh, honestly, most of the dudes don't know Jesus and, and they don't know what I do for a living, and I like being around people like that, because then they, they're themselves, because the moment they find out what I do, uh, they start they get some they get start getting weird. Some of y'all have done that before. When you found out somebody was a pastor, you quit doing X, Y, and Z, because people think that's what X, Y, and Z are what make you a Christian. <laughs> See, they're like, they stop cussing, they stop saying things, you know, I'm like, bro, just be yourself, right? And so all summer, I was in serious pain. I was not happy about it because, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I feel like I'm too young to be in that much pain. And so I started doing deadlifts again. I started working out. I've just slowly ramped up and tested it, and, man, it, I feel good. And so I felt like in releasing the testimony that the miracle was going to be released because, you know, the word testimony, if you go three clicks back in the Hebrew, it means to do again. That's, that's literally what it means. And so when a testimony is released... You can reach out and grab that for yourself and say, okay, this is for me because God wants to 
do it again, right? <laughs> and so anybody that has back issues, I just want you to raise your hand. You got back issues today? It's, yeah, I mean, in any room, it's going to be 50% or in, in the, older the, the older the crowd, the more the back issues usually, right? And so everybody's got back issues, I just want you to stand up. And I'm going to ask you to do something that uh, any, some of you may be familiar with, Joanne Moody. Uh, you're familiar with her? She's seen, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand people healed. She's been in ministry like eight years. Uh, it, she started later in life in ministry because she got radically healed at a Voice of the Apostles event, a uh, Global Awakening event. And she said something I'd never heard before. She said, I want you to use your imagination. And I want you to picture yourself doing things that you couldn't do before without pain. And, I, and I'm just desperate, right? I'm just like, okay, I see myself dunking. I see myself doing deadlifts. I see myself doing all these things that would cause me pain. And I just kept running over them in my mind. And she's like, we're seeing, they're seeing thousands of people healed that way. I'm talking about people getting up out of wheelchairs that couldn't walk before. By them envisioning themselves doing things and attaching their faith to the fact that this is the way it's supposed to be. And so as I'm saying this, I just want you to envision yourself doing things, attach your faith to being able to, it's, it's faith, it's activation, it's saying, okay, I'm going to be able to do these things again without hurting. And then as you do that, we as a family are going to pray for you, right? And just remember, just, gra- and just in faith, just, I just grab what happened to Tony and I, I grab it for me right now <laughs> because it's not, it's not my healing right? It's, it's healing for everyone. And so, Father, we thank you for the testimony. We thank you for doing it again. We thank you right now for restoration of everything that's causing pain. We thank you for every bit of trauma being broken off of bodies right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, we thank you for degeneration becoming regeneration. Yeah, we thank you for brand new body parts, brand new backs right now, brand new discs, everything in the lower back and hips. We command to go into its appropriate place right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, we just, we thank you as we were singing, heaven is here and healing is where healing happens, where heaven's at. And so we thank you, Father, for this great big open heaven over us. Yeah, we thank you for healing and restoration right now. In Jesus' name. Yeah, everybody, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah, we just want you guys to, to test it out and see, see how you feel. If you could tell, some of you will be able to tell, some of you may not be able to tell. If you are 75% or more, yeah, <laughs> look, there's, there's one. Yep. Thanks, Jesus. Anybody else? Yeah? Yeah. Think so? Another? Come on, Jesus. Anybody? Raise your hand if you can, if you're not going to be able to tell right now. Yeah, a couple of you, three of you right now, four of you going to have to <laughs> test it out. Yeah, as I was talking, you could feel Holy Spirit doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. More God. Yeah. Are you able to tell anything about your your back, Mike? Yep. Yeah. Come on, Jesus. Okay, keep us posted, all of you. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for more. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. 
Come on. <laughs> you know that in um, sometimes when we're seeking to get something like that from Jesus, that he provides, he provides healing, he provides peace, he provides free, I mean, he provides everything that we need, right? He, he is all-encompassing. Uh, everything that we actually need in life is within Jesus. And when we seek to get some of those things from him that are attributes that he operates in as like healer, um, there are oftentimes what, what he's really after is the fact that we are going to encounter him, which is going to transform us more into his image, right? We're, every time we encounter him, I look a little bit more like him. You know, there's transformation that happens internal before I actually witness it in the external. I always tell people that if you want to create a culture around you, you must first create a culture within you because it's not sustainable if it's not on the inside of me, right? And so I, I in my life, this is what I focus on is an encounter-based lifestyle with Jesus. I seek to encounter him on a daily basis. That's knowing him more. And in, in knowing him more, I actually begin to operate more like he does. You know, there are, you know, there's just so much talk. I want to um, address something real quick. There's so much talk about people that are leaving, leaving the church, right? The, the, the big C, they say they're not leaving the body of Christ, but they're leaving, uh, actually coming to the, the gathering of, of people that we call a family, you know? And so I, I don't know how you leave the gathering and, and, and don't leave the body, but I guess it's, it's possible, right? You can still operate as a Christian, and so we're all still family regardless of what you do. If you go hide in the woods for years uh, or, or you're at church, you know, seven days a week, you're still a Christian. But I'll tell you what I, I believe is happening is that I know, I know hurt is taking place, right? Um, and that hurt people hurt people. I, I know that's a, that's a real thing. Um, but in actually getting hurt in places of what they're deeming organized religion, what is happening is that the enemy is setting traps of offense. Offense, the literal definition for the word offense is trap, right? That's why it says in Colossians three fourteen in the Passion Translation that love is unoffendable. You can't offend love. You can't offend Jesus because he will not be trapped by the enemy. Right, and so then, and then something that offends me, it traps me into this place, and it gives the enemy an opportunity to sway me whichever way he wants me to go. Because what happens in real relationship, healthy relationship, when I get hurt, we work it out. I don't leave. That's what's been modeled to us, and I'll tell you that that's not healthy. Even if you get hurt in a place by somebody that is is maliciously, intentionally hurting you. Me going back to them and trying to work it out is the right thing to do. That, now, that's, that's only part of it is up to me. The other part of it is up to them. All right? Because if I don't try to do that, then what happens is that it begins to dictate my life. And all my decisions, whether I know it or not, and all my, all my choices begin to be impacted out of this place of, of hurt that's deep down in here. And I'm not allowing love to come in and actually do what love does. Because becoming whole doesn't mean that I'll never be hurt again. It means that I actually learn to love people more than they can hurt me. Yes. That's the goal. All right? 
because there's two different mindsets. There's this mindset that focuses on the fact of, of what's happened to me, how, the wrong that's been done to me, the offense that's happened. That's all legitimate, right? I get that. I know that some of you have been through things that I can't even fathom, and, and I've been through things that I've never even mentioned in, in a public setting. You know, because it's not the right place, it's not the right time, and it's not the right group of people. I release the testimony of certain things that I've been healed of when it's the right group of people. But not everything's not for everybody. Just the truth of it. So I understand all that, but there's a mindset that keeps me focused on what has happened to me, how hurt I am, how hard life is. You get it? And whatever I meditate on will transform my mind. And so when I focus there, when I focus my attention there, I'm not talking about not acknowledging pain. That'd be silly. But acknowledging my pain is not meditating on it. <clears throat> acknowledging my pain is saying, yes, that hurt me. I'm going to sit with you, Jesus. What Sarah's been, been talking about for a little while, she did. She's done an excellent job of it. She's just the pastor that she is of, of teaching us that it's, you need to be able to sit with Jesus in what you've gone through and say, Jesus, you can heal me. Like, I'm, this hurt me. Like, it's, it's not super spiritual to act like things don't hurt me, yeah. all right? <laughs> but it's also not spiritual to sit in that place and meditate on that hurt, right, and not allow Jesus to do anything about it. So there's a mindset that focuses on that that renews my mind. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a good and acceptable and perfect will of God for all of humanity, right? And by my mind being transformed by truth, I will be able to demonstrate what that looks like to the rest of the world. But when I actually renew my mind with lies, because whatever I meditate on is going to renew my mind whether I like it or not. There's neural pathways that are going to my mind, and there's, that's why, that's why some, sometimes that's why people wonder how do I get into that train of thought so quickly, so easily, and for so long? And that's because that train's been riding that track for a long time. And it just keeps on going around and around and around that thought train of the meditation of the things that bring me hopelessness, right? That suck the joy out of my life. Because do you, do you, I'm realizing more and more, Eric Gilmore had this quote, I saw it on social media. He said, without joy, the father is misrepresented. Without joy, the father is misrepresented. Because we say he's in a good mood. Like he's a good God. Um, am I saying that he's happy about everything that's happening here? No, but he knew it was going to happen before it ever did. Right? And then he sent Jesus. They had the plan before the foundation of the world. He's the lamb that was slain. Look in Revelations 13. Before the foundation of the world, he's the lamb that was slain. Just a reminder, that means that in the Father's mind, it was already finished. Before creation happened, in the Father's mind, Jesus' blood had already cleansed us. That's how it says in Ephesians, that's how it can say in Ephesians 1 that in him we've been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Come on, this is I know this is a reminder for some of you, but sometimes we just need a reminder. Because I'll never graduate from, from the foundational truth that got me to where I'm at. <laughs> and so you don't, I don't leave that stuff, right? So often in, in, in church life and Christianity, I've done this myself, is I'm so hungry for something new. 
I want a new word. I want something new. But I haven't done a whole lot with the last thing that I got. Right? And so I want fresh bread every day. I understand that. But it's always building upon the concepts, the precepts that the Father has laid a foundation in our lives already. Right? He's got these things that He's laid down. He says, these are foundational for you. And in this... Him choosing us in Him before the foundation of the world is one of those truths. Because it roots us and grounds us in the love of the Father. Realizing that He wanted me before the world began. He, he chose me in knowing that I would do so many, so many things wrong. Making so many poor choices. And He knew. He knew. <laughs> he knew every single bad thought, bad thing, horrendous actions that I'd do before Jesus. Right? And everything that I would do wrong even after Jesus. And he's not focused on any of that. He's focused on the fact that he chose us. That means he desired us. That means he wanted us. It, was, it wasn't because he was having pity on us. It was because he longed to be with us. He longed to have family. When I get stuck in a rut of thinking and meditating on the lies and how hard life is and what I'm going through. You remember I talked about suffering two weeks ago? This is going to be a continuation of that because suffering is a legitimate part of the gospel. Like we don't experience it in America, just barely, right? There's some suffering still that happens that's, that's a legitimate suffering because of the gospel. Right? Suffering in, in life because you've chosen to follow Christ. There's some that happens, not as much as, as overseas, and I, I'm not mad about that. Like I'm not, you know, I could have been born a, a, a whole bunch of different places. I'm glad I was born right here in this, in this nation. I still believe it's the greatest country in the world to live in, regardless of, of what polls say. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I, I still love it. Right? This is our nation. <laughs> I'm not giving it up. <laughs> and I'm not giving up on it. Believe me, Jesus saw all this coming. He's got a plan. <clears throat> so, what I focus on, when I begin to focus on these things, and I, I meditate on how hard it is, even if I'm going through suffering, if, I'm, if I actually meditate on solely on how hard the suffering is, it will take me outside of my identity in Christ because I will begin to operate out of fleshly things again. Because I've left walking in the Spirit of God. Because I've chosen to focus on the wrong thing. Because there's still, on a daily basis, there still should be joy in my life. Every single day of my life, even, and I know I was sick, you know, I was sick for a year and a half. I just, my stomach's, did I mention my stomach's healed? That happened to VOA too? I haven't had problems with my stomach. I'm talking about a year and a half of, of sometimes eating, laying down, and laying in bed thinking I would die because it hurt so bad. You know, it was, it was that serious. And in that, what I began to do was I began to focus on how hard things were, how much it hurt, what I couldn't do, what I couldn't enjoy. <clears throat> I was focusing on my feelings. We live in a culture that tells you to live by how you feel. Now, let me say this. I am not saying that your feelings are bad. God created them. They're not bad. I don't believe that they're good or bad. They're just feelings, right? I know some Christians talk about them like they're bad. They're not, I believe that they're a beautiful indicator of what I believe. 
We've, we've taught that over and I'll continue to teach that. My feelings will teach me what I believe. But if I live by how I feel, I will live as a carnal, fleshly Christian. And that's not what I was created for. I will live in less than what the Father has for me. Doesn't change His love. Doesn't change my destination to heaven. Doesn't change the fact that I'm saved. Right? Doesn't change any of those things. But it does change one very important thing. What I'm able to demonstrate in my life to the people around me. And actually what I'm able to, to benefit from in this benefits package that the Father gave me through Jesus. And so even while in suffering, I found that I needed to laugh during every single day. There's laughter, as it says in Proverbs 17.22, it says, a, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Let me read it out of the Passion Translation. It says, a joyful, I like joy, dash, full, heart brings healing to both body and soul it's pretty important right they say that children laugh on average tell me again is it 400 and some odd times a day i think i thought joe might know i can't remember it's over 400 times a day children on average laugh over 400 times a day and they say that adults on average laugh 15 to 20 times a day you see a big disconnect between the carefree life of a child and that of an adult when we begin to focus on all the stresses and all the things that bum us out and things that are happening in the world and the bad things that have happened to us, right? And we allow it to, to zap the very thing that is created to give us strength. So a joyful heart, this is the Passion Translation again in Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both body and soul, but the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. <clears throat> Sometimes people get constantly sick because of this right here. It's not because the flu is going around or it's flu season or you touch the doorknob that some little kid's germs, you know. It, it comes in our, in our beliefs and the fact that when, when, I'm, when joy is depleted, it leaves me susceptible for other things. And depression and sickness go hand in hand. Right? Anger's right along with that. Right? And, all, and on the heels of depression, other bad things come in. That's where suicide creeps in, right? It tells you that it's, it's, not, it's not worth living. No one would miss you. Why, why keep doing it? What's the, I heard somebody say not long ago, what's the point? What's the point of this life? I thought if you've, if you've gotten there, you've landed in a bad spot, but I'm very familiar. I've been there before. I'm, I'm familiar with that town. I've not, only, I've not only visited, I have frequented there at one point in time in my life. Hung out there for a very long time. Had an Airbnb there. Stayed there sometime on long vacations. <laughs> the view is terrible. <laughs> the amenities are not good. You will not have fun. <laughs> I just break that lie right now in this room. I just feel like there's been, I don't know, I feel like it's, it's at least a person or two in the room. I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't want to set you out. That's not what this is about. But I want to tell you that your life is worth living. That you're here for a purpose. That your life matters. 
that you are making a difference. Some of it you may not see until you're on the other side of heaven. God designed you, put you here, because He loves you. And the purpose is knowing Him. And in that, showing other people who He is, so that they can know Him too, because we were all created for that purpose. We were all created to be in the arms of the Father for all of eternity. That includes right now, not just on the other side of heaven. That's when joy is not, yeah. So Father, we just thank you right now. I'm just going to pray. So so we just break the power of suicide right now in Jesus' name. We command that voice to be silenced in the name of Jesus. And we pray that your presence would come, that joy would be restored, that life in it more abundantly would be ignited inside of everybody that needs it right now in this moment. Yeah, thank you for flooding, 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 flooding. Yeah, thank you, Father, for reinforcing the value that each and every single one of us are worth your son, we're worth his life, we're the most valuable the most valuable asset of heaven you gave because we were worth it, because we are worth it. And so we thank you as that value is reiterated to everybody that needs that it, it will actually destroy the power and the access that depression and suicide have had to lives. In Jesus' name. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You see how important joy is to us? Like it's not something that, that I've often seen. It, it's the number one thing that people have questions about when they come here. It used to happen a lot more than, than it does now. And, and I, I'm not, you know, the Holy Spirit does what He wants. So He comes in different seasons look different ways. That's okay, but it's not like we move on past joy. or like, oh, this season's not joyful, so we're just going to be serious. Like I know it's a serious time that we live in, but joy, you know, the Father takes joy seriously. It's the currency of heaven. Heaven is flooded with joy. There's, there's nothing, but heaven, there, nothing but joy and love, all the attributes of the, of the Spirit of God. That's what's flowing through heaven all the time. It's never lacking. Therefore, I should never be lacking. So I found out in my suffering that I had to intentionally focus on the fact of things that would ignite joy in my life. Even if it's wa- like I quit watching serious stuff sometimes because... I, I like, anybody familiar with Tom Clancy? You like Tom, I like Tom Clancy stuff. I like those kind of spy things. You know what I mean? That's all very serious, not all laughs and, and that stuff. And so I started to pivot and actually focus more on these shows that were causing me to laugh more so that I could be intentional. Not just the expectation of choosing joy inside of me, which we'll talk about in a minute, but actually using those things that are around me to cause laughter in my life so that it would be something that became my normal again. Because I had allowed sickness and a tough time that I was going through to rob me of the very thing that was supposed to give me strength through that so that I could thrive in that season. Because when I... Personally, I've seen it happen to others, but I'll just talk about me. When I actually began to not allow joy to be a part of my normal life, I started to turn inward and quit focusing on people around me. Not knowing that at times, even though I'd seen it, but I forgot, that at times my healing is in ministering to someone else. 
That's, you know, that's one of the reasons that the enemy, the devil, wants to get people outside of the church family like this in gatherings because some of our healing will only happen in this context. You know your body was created to heal itself? You know that, right? That's why you're cut scab. That's why your knee swells when it gets hurt. That's why you, got, you all got that? Yeah. The body was created to heal itself. You see what I'm I know somebody way smarter than me that agrees with me on this, too. She was here just a couple weeks ago, <laughs> if you need an endorsement. I talked to Dr. Susan about this not long ago. She said, yeah, some, she said most of the wounds that I have seen in people's lives, and I'm talking about decades of counseling that she's done, decades of counseling. <clears throat> she's Dr. Susan. She, she's, she said that's what, that's what her degree, that's what her PhD is in. And she said... Almost all of the wounding that I have seen happen within the church will only be healed within the church. You see why it wants us out? Some people think things are shifting. I'll tell you that the local church will always be the hope of the world because it's the bride of Christ. <laughs> and so these, these, this wounding and the things that, that happened to me, I've found out that when I minister to others, there's actually healing that comes to me because that's the way it was supposed to, supposed to be. <clears throat> I remember sitting on the couch watching God's General's uh, DVD set that Lindsay got me for Christmas. Gosh, that's been years ago. Uh, probably when we lived in our apartment, probably 2012, 2013, something like that. I remember sitting on the couch watching, I don't remember which one it was, and I started to have this encounter and God spoke to me, and he just—he said something that seemed like I should have known. <laughs> but he said, if, you, if you'll focus on your wife's needs and other people's needs, I'll focus on yours. What he was telling me in that, he's saying, you, don't, you no longer have to live in survival. Because that's what survivors do. I'm a survivor. I survived environments in places that I probably shouldn't have survived, for sure. And lots of us have, have right? That, but that survivor mentality keeps me inwardly focused because it's a part of the orphan mindset that says, I have to provide for me because nobody else is going to. If I don't look out for me, nobody else will. And that's the, that's the very definition of, of self-centeredness. Even though during that time of being a survivor, it made sense, right? Outside of Christ, it makes sense to protect my own heart and provide for myself. But when I come into the kingdom, I give my heart to Him to protect. I love with my heart wide open, and I trust Him to provide all of my needs because in Him, I am complete, as it says in Colossians 2.10. So there are all my needs within Jesus. But the survivor mentality tells me that it's, it's just a constant battle. And, and I am not going to will my way. I did not will my way out of survivor mentality. I didn't. I constantly focused on encountering him on a daily basis and renewing my mind with the truth that told me I'm a son. That I no longer have to be a survivor. That he desires to actually do abundantly more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. 
I focused on the fact that he's a good father and I looked at him through Jesus because Jesus is the exact image of who the father is. Says it in Hebrews 1.3, says it in Colossians 1.15, says it in John chapter 1 verse 18, right? That Jesus actually declared who the father is to us through his life. He is the exact replica, the exact image and character of who the Father is. And so I focused on those things and allowed those things to transform my mind as I am continually because the process doesn't stop. But that's what got me out of that survivor mentality. It's what brought me into this place of joy. And I believe that joy is one of the greatest weapons that we have. Not just in this season. I'm talking about all throughout our existence while we're here on planet earth and it's something that i've watched the persecuted church really tap into in the time that i've got to spend with them in the middle east and pakistan and i've watched those guys and ladies be joyful in situations that make no sense to be joyful but joy doesn't make sense to the human mind that's called happiness (laughs) I'm going to say something, I hope it doesn't offend you, but Jesus, I I personally don't believe that he's concerned about your happiness. He cares about you. And oftentimes we end up in less than ideal circumstances that will not create happiness. But when I find out who he really is and who I am in his eyes, I don't need circumstances and situations to be ideal. And that's what I'm finding more and more in Christians. They need ideal situations. They need suffering to not be a part of it. They need things not to be hard. And I know what it's like to go through those situations, but I'm not going to live by my feelings anymore so that those things do not impact the way that I love people. Because when I live by my feelings, I'll love you when I feel like it. Right? But if I love you when I feel like it, I'll love you out of my own strength. And I guarantee I'll fall short every single time. That's where the statement comes from. Man, that person's hard to love. If you ever said that before, which I have, it's because we were trying to love that person out of my strength and not his. (laughs) It's just not going to go down, right? Joy, love and joy do not operate separately. They operate collectively. They're one and the same. Because joy is a byproduct of love. God is love, right? 1 John 4, and that that love actually fuels everything that he gave me. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to have to work a little harder for this, but that's okay. I had a week's vacation. So (laughs) there is, in Psalm 1611, it says that there is fullness of joy in his presence, right? So if I'm in his presence, I should experience joy more often than not. I know that there are times when you're crying and, and that's great. Like there's also weeping in his presence when I'm getting healed. There's also joy in his presence when I'm getting healed. It's not one or the other. You're like, oh, I'm crying. Jesus is healing me. No, he's, he's healing you when you're laughing too. It's like the laughing gas of heaven, you know? He's giving you a little heavenly sedative. <laughs> and so you don't feel the surgery that's taking place in here. It's a beautiful thing. It's because he loves us. But fullness of joy is in His presence. Do you know that His presence is not just when I'm in worship, when the worship team is flowing, right? Presence isn't just there when I've got my favorite worship 
band on or I'm listening to my favorite preacher, it's not just ideal situations. The fullness of joy is in His presence in the Holy Spirit. You know that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. The presence of God is not a separate thing from God. It means God is present. And so the Holy Spirit is upon our lives. That means that fullness of joy is accessible at any given time for me. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that, uh, that we all drink of one spirit, right? And so sometimes I just take a little drink of the Holy Spirit. I just turn my attention. Practically, what's that look like? I'm glad you asked. I just turn my attention towards Him, and I just begin to enjoy Him in a moment that, that may be less than ideal. You might be talking to me while I'm doing it, because I can multitask. But at any given time, driving, communicating with somebody, hanging out, whatever I'm doing, working, it's accessible. And I actually take moments throughout the day and access what I have available to me. Because he created us to run on overflow, not just barely enough. But everything goes back to what I believe. What I believe about him. And if I don't believe he's a good father, and I believe that he's like one of my earthly parents or somebody in my life that didn't give me, my parents are amazing, I love them both. Just using this as an example. But if there's somebody in my life that only barely gave me enough, right, just to get by, and they had poverty mentality, they lived through the depression, whatever happened in their life for legitimate reasons, and, and I just barely got by because that's all they could provide, right? Maybe they were doing the best they could and that's all they could provide. I will often reflect that or direct that towards the Father and say, okay, He's only going to give me barely enough. And then I'll live with that mentality for the rest of my life. And it doesn't mean that that's what He wants. It means that that's what I believe. And so that becomes my reality. And so knowing who He is through Jesus is one of the most, I believe it's the most important thing that I can find out in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's knowing who he is, I believe, is the most important thing that I can find out in the kingdom. And in knowing him, I'm going to give you some keys here in a minute. And in knowing him, knowing who he actually is, maybe not what's been displayed to me, maybe not what I've heard about him, but actually knowing him through Jesus will bring me into this place of operating out of the overflow of everything that He's made available to me. And joy is one of those, one of those main things that He's made available. Remember, without joy, the Father is misrepresented. You know, I believe that that's one of the number one assignments that we have is to show people that God's actually good, that He's not mad at them, regardless of what they've done or what they are currently doing. We go out and tell people that all the time. We show people that all the time. We tell them that too. My, my telling should follow my showing. And so I love getting the opportunity to show people that God's not mad. He's not angry at them regardless of what people have told, him, told them. Because that's what I thought too. I thought that he was temperamental. 
I thought that if I didn't behave properly, that he was immediately angry with me and that he would separate me from his love and that he was just tolerating my behavior. (laughs) And and when I'm in a place where I feel that I'm just tolerated, that's that place where you walk on eggshells. Huh? You don't want to be somewhere where you're tolerated. You want to be somewhere where you're celebrated. (laughs) And that's what he does. He celebrates you and I every second of every single day. Like it's your birthday every day of your life. That's how he celebrates you. You say, even when I do things wrong, even in his correction, he pulls us closer. <sighs> that's, what, that's what good parents do, right? When your behavior gets scary, I don't push you further away from me, even though that's the temptation for all of us natural parents. You understand that? Your kid's behavior gets scary and you inadvertently sometimes punish them by separating them from your love, all right? Done it before. Didn't know I was doing it. Look back on it. I'm like, okay, yeah. Now I know what it was. I was afraid. Because I can't be afraid and love at the same time. They don't operate together. There's no fear in love. I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord, which is actually a reverence. I'm talking about the spirit of fear or when I actually get afraid. And so I can't operate in both those at the same time. But the Father, he doesn't have any problem with that because there's no fear in him. There's no fear around him. So even when our behavior may seem scary to somebody else, it's never scary to him. It's a good thing to know. Because if I don't realize that when my behavior doesn't line up with my nature as a son, as a child of God, then I will actually separate myself from him because I will unintentionally think Oh, okay, you're going to push me away from you. You're going to withhold love from me. Because that's my experience with people. But that's not who the Father is. And so I need to know that's not who He is so that even when my behavior doesn't line up with my nature as a child of God, I will still lean into Him. I will still run to Him. I will still rest in His arms. I will still allow him to love me because in allowing him to love me, it's going to love me back into this place of my new nature in Christ, which will always correct my behavior. That's why he speaks to my identity and not my behavior when he corrects me. Does this make sense? Okay. (laughs) I I was just making sure you guys are still still alive. So... (laughs) When understanding who he is, it brings me back to this place of my new nature in Christ, which actually directly impacts my character. Our character is our container. Gifting and anointing come free. What you see happen on stages and platforms and in ministry settings is not character being displayed. It's actually anointing, grace, and gifting that's operating through a willing vessel. That's it. It's not mine. When I get to heaven, it'll all be checked at the door. It will not help me there. It will help me here. But my character is what I do when nobody's looking. The choices I make when nobody else is around. The things that people don't see on social media. That's my character. That's my real container. 
That's what it's about. Allowing him to refine my thinking so that my character and nature lines up with who he is and that people see a demonstration of it. And when I mess it up, I clean up my mess, I say that I'm sorry, and I make sure that I lean into him and focus on knowing him more. So it brings me into that place of operating out of the fullness of everything that he has for me. Let me read these scriptures to you, and I'm going to give you some practical keys, I believe, that will help us on actually choosing joy in every season of our lives, because it's vital, right? We've, we're, we're learning to do that. It's not, I'm telling you, you could easily look at somebody's life on social media and what's going on in their life and the impact that they're making in, in the nations, and you think that everything must be good. Right? You could look at most people's life on social media and think everything must be, must be good. Uh, that's, that's probably not true most of the time. <laughs> For some people, it may be true. Right? I don't know that I fall into that category of everything being good, even some of the time. But I don't, I've learned to choose to not focus on the external. Because when Jesus rescued me from the lifestyle that I was living, my circumstances were less than ideal. <laughs> and when my lawyer came to see me after I got saved, <laughs> she thought I had lost my mind. <laughs> she thought it was the figurative stick that had broken the camel's back, right? She was like, you, okay, this was it. Like, you're, you've, you've done in this time. Like She'd seen me already, because she's my sister. She'd seen me already in schizophrenic, paranoid, delusional states where I was just out there bad. Like, everybody was at risk that was around me, including me. And then when she saw me like this, she thought there's no way that anything could do this to you besides your mental state just crumbling, <clears throat> which it was already fragile. <laughs> I mean, I was suicidal. Like, you know what I mean? I had, I had reached the bottom. I would rather have been dead than, than alive. I thought that it was the only alternative. I didn't realize that if I came to Jesus and gave my life to him, that he would kill me the old me, and then everything would become new. <laughs> I, I, I believe deep down that I had the desire for death because I wanted to die to the things that I never was supposed to be. Yeah. And that the enemy capitalized on that and said, we'll just make him think this is what he really wants. Right? But regardless of how much of a chokehold the enemy has somebody on, in Jesus can always break through <laughs> there is there is absolutely no hopeless situation right. only hopeless only people who are yet to have hope as Steve Backlund says there's people that don't have hope but every situation there's hope from God's perspective and that's one of the main things that I need is I need to have his perspective so that I can have hope in this situation because my hope and my joy are directly impacted. My joy level is affected by my hope level. If I don't have hope, it's, I don't have joy. They're going to be the same. But if I have hope, I'll have joy. 
It's, it's, it's practical. It's practical and supernatural at the same time. So let me give you some key. Let me try to give you some keys. <laughs> I've been trying to get back to this scripture now for a little while um, because I was just so pumped about this while I was on vacation. I began to think about choosing joy and suffering. And I thought, okay, these, I just talked about suffering, right? With probably 30 or so minutes of just bumming people. I know you're like, um, I don't want to hear about this. I don't, nobody wants to hear about suffering. They, <laughs> I just almost mentioned a preacher's name. If you listen to them, you probably never hear about suffering. Because when you listen to them, they're constantly encouraging. And I like that. Like, I need that in my life, right? But I also need the rest of the gospel. And I need to realize that, that, that just the encouragement isn't the whole gospel. I need somebody to encourage me in the fact that I can suffer with Christ, know the fellowship of His sufferings, and still thrive in life. Even though it sucks right now. Right? Sorry if that was a cuss word in your house when you were growing up. Real cuss words were cuss words in my house when we were growing up. <laughs> and you didn't get in trouble for them. <laughs> At least not in one of the houses. <clears throat> But when life is tough, I need to realize that Jesus is well acquainted with that lifestyle. Like if you look at Jesus three and a half years, like his whole growing up, if you just, just take the three and a half years at the end, like that was not ideal, right? He didn't have a million dollar building to minister in. He didn't have a bunch of people throwing money at him. He wasn't super popular. I bet he would not have been trending on social media. Except for, for healing, right? Yeah. Healing and miracles. But then when he said one offensive thing, they were gone. And you know what? He didn't try to get them back. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the church growth method. <laughs> like they will not teach you what Jesus did if you want to grow a church. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. But he wasn't concerned. right? I, I, know, I heard Leif Hetland say something that I thought was profound. He said, if I, if I love you without telling you the truth, it's, it's, if I love you and tell you the truth, what was the rest of it? We said it to me in a conversation. It's not, it, it, may be on, it may be on Google. But if I love you and don't tell you the truth, it's mean. But if I love you and tell you the truth, it's meaningful. Because love without truth is void of God. Because you know that He's actually love and truth. Truth's a person. His name's Jesus. The same one that's love. <clears throat> so these things must go together. Like the Word of God must be involved with the love of the Father because they're one and the same. Because when I mix the two together, the truth transforms my, my mind. The love empowers me, which actually ignites my hope and then takes me to a new place of joy. You see how that works? Yeah. That these things are important, actually vital, because the most that Joyce Meyer wrote a book about it, it's the battlefield of the mind, right? It's where war is waged. You're in a war. Right? That's already actually been won. 
says in Colossians 2.15, that he disarmed principalities and powers at the cross. It's already been won. We're not fighting from a place of trying to win something. We're fighting from victory. But if I don't realize that and mix that truth with love and allow it to transform my mind, I will feel like I'm constantly fighting to try to win a day. Just trying to win today. Just trying to be all right. My gosh, the gospel is way more powerful than me trying to just be all right. Come on. It's not, I, I want this to feel like a living room, so I'm trying not to really preach. But <laughs> I just want to talk because I love the living room feel, right? That's where family is. But the gospel is way more powerful than me just getting through this life. Like we've got to attribute more power to it than that. I know there's tough seasons, but what will I focus on when it's tough? I told you the story about the lady that had been actually kidnapped in Pakistan that came to me. Came to me for prayer that Sunday morning, the first trip that we went, March of, of last year. She came to me and she had been kidnapped <clears throat> and held captive for two years, escaped and been on the run for three years and she had just surfaced that day. And, and she's in my line for me to pray for. And that was the day that everything that I believe was upended because I found out that, that some things don't translate to the persecuted church. And, and if they don't translate to the persecuted church, they shouldn't translate to, to us, right? It's not, the, it's not the gospel if it can't be preached everywhere. But the reason that I brought that up is because I couldn't promise that woman that, that things were going to get better. Most of the time, we want people to promise us that things are going to get better. I believe that Jesus wants us to realize that things don't have to get better for us to, be re to remain joyful and thriving. Because if I'm just waiting on things to get better, I'm putting my hope in natural things. When my hope is supposed to be anchored right there where the mercy seat is in Christ. That's where my hope gets anchored. It doesn't mean that I don't hope in the natural. I hope for natural things to get better. I do. That's, I mean, that seems realistic to me, and nothing in the kingdom is realistic. So I hope for things to get better because I am optimistic. But I anchor my hope where Jesus is so that regardless of what happens, it doesn't move me. Now, I'm still learning to do this. I'd love to tell you that I got this all figured out and walk in this every day of my life, but it wouldn't be true. <laughs> but I'm telling you the truth <laughs> that I know works because there are times when I do live it. More times than when I don't now. It used to be I never did. When I first became a Christian, I was just glad I was going to heaven, right? Because they told me hell was real bad and I believed them. I had no grid for it. <laughs> they, they didn't scare me into the kingdom because I gave my life to Jesus in 8 by 10 room. Nobody else is in there. Right? It just, I just knew it was right. It was something in us, right? To give our lives to Him. And so we, we have an, a responsibility to actually keep our focus fixed on, on Him. Let me read you some scriptures. Going to wrap this up. Our focus is our responsibility. 
just like our spiritual growth is our responsibility. It's nobody else's. I will grow as much as I choose to. Right? I am in charge of my spiritual development. Do I get help from mentors and spiritual parents? Absolutely. But that's very little of my time that I spend with them in the grand scheme of things. The rest of it is on me. It's not overly complicated. It's just living life intentionally. You can follow the Spirit and live life intentionally at the same time. It's called being yielded. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is in the Passion Translation. It's good in every translation, but this really expounds on it. It says, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Remember what I said? We focus on Jesus and his example. His example is this because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. Come on. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured every bit of the pain that he went through and actually thrived during things that we will never experience in our lives because he had his focus intentionally in a place that says he focused on the joy set before him, the joy of knowing that we would be his. All right? I believe that in this example, we can set our focus on him, like, like the Bible tells us to. I'll read it to you in just a second. And it is just the, it just, okay, we're the joy set before him. He's the joy set before us. Because Jesus is my joy. Okay. I'm going to get you to believe me. <laughs> I'm going to get you to believe in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. This is in the New King James. I'm going to read 1 through 3. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You know that in Psalm 1611, pause. This isn't a rabbit, I promise. In Psalm 1611, it says that fullness of joy in his, are in his presence and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's it say here? If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So, Ephesians 2, 6, that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Where are we seated? At the right hand of God, where pleasures forevermore are at. That should cause me to enjoy him. Come on. Okay. Set your, back, back to this. So verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. <clears throat> Set your mind. Focus on those things that are above. I love what Todd White says, that it, being so heavenly minded should not make me uh, no good to the earth. It should actually make me earthly amazing. Right? <clears throat> so, what is Jesus saying? This is what I, I've concluded. What I've gathered from this is that he's, he's saying, where I want your focus is where I want your hope. I want both your focus and your hope anchored in this place where I'm at because I'm unchanging. 
He never changes. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, it says in Hebrews 13, 8, right? He's always the same. He's dependable. He's steadfast. He's unmoving, unchanging. He's always love, always kind, always compassionate, always good. And so when I fix my focus there, it actually keeps my vision in a place that will cause me to not be impacted by earthly things the way that I have been accustomed to. I am not saying that things still won't affect me. I'm saying that when they do, I will snap back faster into this place of being able to live from love and joy. Does that make sense? when I focus on Jesus, it ignites, it ignites all of the things that he's placed in me by the Holy Spirit. Because what it does for us, or what it can do, or even should do, is that it helps me realize that he is enough. That things don't have to go right for him to be enough. Because if I don't have joy and I realize that Jesus is my joy, it could be because I've not found out that he's enough. I'm telling you, it's something I've watched the persecuted church do. It also helps me to sit in the dirt with people that have it worse than me. That's why temptation every time an American tells me their life sucks. I say, Would you buy a one-way ticket over here and sit in the dirt with these people? And you come back, you'll be like, oh, my life is actually pretty great. <laughs> but my experience will not transform my mind. Even if I see somebody that's going through more suffering than I am, has it worse than I do, because you can look all around the world and find people that have it way worse than we do. All around the world, in every single country of the world, or actually maybe right down the road. But my experience won't transform my mind. Only truth does that. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. You guys ready? Practical. I wanted to, to preach this a whole lot, but I'm just going to give you practical advice out of it and not preach it to get, get you out of here. What My question is to myself, to all of us, what am I doing with the promises of God and the prophetic words that have been given to me? The prophetic promises. Who has prophetic promises that have already come to pass or they're currently living in in their life right now? Prophetic, prophetic words, things that God has spoken to you that you're living in right now. <laughs> Who doesn't know what, what prophetic words are? <clears throat> so whether you have them that have come to pass, and the rest of you probably have some that haven't come to pass that you believe are actually God. You got those words too, God words, not just good words. I like those. But so you've got words that are God words. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he says, By the prophecies concerning you, wage a good warfare. In other words, he was saying, I want you to take the prophetic promises over your life and I want you to use them as a weapon to fight with. What's that weapon? It fights off discouragement and at the same time it ignites hope within me because I focus on both the prophetic promises, you can call them testimonies, you got testimonies of things God's done in your life? You're saved, right? Most of us are saved. So you, you, you're a testimony. Looking in the mirror is a testimony. 
You're still alive. It's a testimony. Some of us or most of us may have been healed at some point in time. You've been delivered out of bad situations. God provided in some situation that seemed impossible and it, it supernatural breakthrough came. Right? We focus on, this is what I do practically. I focus on the promises of God, the prophetic promises that have happened, are happening, and are yet to happen. And I focus on the testimonies of His goodness. I use these as weapons in my life. And that helps ignite joy on the inside of me. Because it keeps my eyes off of the natural realm. And that being my, where my attention is fixed. Because I need to be able to look into the natural realm and focus on other people. I need to be able to minister to other people. But I'll tell you that this helps me to stay in a place of hope so that when I give somebody something, it actually comes from Jesus. Because where my focus is depends on what I'm going to be dishing out when somebody needs something. And so I want it to come from the overflow. I'm not saying God can't break in supernaturally and bypass everything that you're trying to minister to somebody. Believe me, he can, and I'm real grateful he does that. <laughs> because I don't ever want people to encounter me before, or encounter me at all. I've, I've, seen, I've had that happen before. You pray for somebody and they encountered you and not Jesus. <laughs> it didn't go very well. <laughs> Nothing happened. I'm like, that was me, not Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what am I doing with the prophetic promises and the testimonies that I have? I don't want them to, I don't want to allow them to gather dust. I want to make sure that they stay fresh in my mind. I oftentimes think back of where I was. I don't leave my focus there, but I think back of where Jesus has brought me from. I think back a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I think back and I say, okay, this is, you're faithful. I've watched your faithfulness in my life. Right? I don't have to wait for it. It's already happened. And so I can meditate on that. And so what I encourage you to do is take the prophetic promises that have come to pass, testimonies of His goodness in your life, and the prophetic words that you actually believe are God and keep them in front of your face in every single season, specifically in this one, and watch what it does to transform your mind ignite hope, and actually bring you into a place of joy that's going to cause each and every one of us to thrive in this season of our life. Does that make sense? Practical enough for you? Okay, will you guys stand with me? Thanks, Sarah. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to everything that you have for this moment. Some of us are in good seasons. Some of us are in not ideal seasons. Some of us are in seemingly tough seasons, painful seasons. Whatever season it is, we thank you that you are you are the answer, Jesus. You are the answer. I pray that you help us to, to focus in on you in this moment. And that Holy Spirit, you would train us, teach us, 
to focus in on you every single day to keep those prophetic promises and prophetic words and testimonies in front of our our face at all times to use them as a weapon to fight off discouragement and hopelessness and all the things that are coming for us we thank you that you've made a way to where they're not going to affect us like they used to yeah we thank you that you have made a way to cause us to thrive in this season that may be less than ideal Yeah, we choose, we choose to focus in on you. We choose to focus in on you. (laughs) Yeah, we choose joy right now. We choose joy. We choose joy. We choose joy. Yeah, thank you, Father. We choose joy. We thank you that you've made it to where laughter is like medicine to us. I pray that you help remind us to laugh daily and laugh often. (sighs) There's times when we're not supposed to. I know that. But I pray daily that our laughter would increase. We would intentionally watch things that make us laugh. We would intentionally make one another laugh. We would intentionally choose to laugh even when we don't feel like it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Some people may feel like that's being fake. Sometimes there's an old saying that says, fake it till you make it. Sometimes you you just got to warm your laugher up until you actually start to laugh intentionally. (laughs) Yeah. We want to represent, we want to represent you, Father, in a way like Jesus did. Like Jesus declared that you're good through his life. We want to do the same. We want to continue to do the same. And so we thank you, Father, for giving us this access, this, this opportunity in this season, in this time, in this nation to be able to demonstrate who you are. And thanks for giving us keys, practical principles to be able to increase our hope, which will increase our joy. Thank you that you've made us powerful people that can choose to do these things. That life is no longer going to happen to us. We are going to dictate how we live through this life. Yeah, we thank you, Father. Yeah, we thank you for fullness of joy being in your presence. Remind us, Holy Spirit, even if we have to set an alarm multiple times throughout the day to access this fullness of joy that we have because you are upon us until it becomes a pattern, becomes a a healthy habit in our lives. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Father. I thank you that when we laugh, the enemy cringes because he's not laughing and he's never going to laugh again. (laughs) 
We thank you that as Psalms 2-4 says that you sit in heaven and you laugh at the plans of the enemy. We want your perspective that laughs at the plans of the enemy, that laughs at less than ideal sets of circumstances and situations because we know, we know we have not just what it takes to make it through, but we have who it takes to thrive. We thank you, Jesus, for revealing to us through the spirit of revelation that you are enough that you are enough. If dreams don't get fulfilled, if promises don't happen, if anything doesn't go our way, regardless of what doesn't take place, we thank you that you're enough. Help us to transform our minds with that. Choose to believe that daily so that that can become our new normal. Kingdom living kingdom living becoming our new normal so I bless each and every person where they're at in this season I pray that radical radical joy would come (laughs) especially during this holiday season I know that some situations you may call less than ideal will be being in the same room with people that you're related to (laughs) I understand that So I thank you, Father, for making this a a different kind of holiday season for us. We're realizing that you celebrate us and that we were created to celebrate others regardless. Regardless. (laughs) So thank you, Father, for empowering us with your love. Empowering us with your love. And joy seeping into every place of our lives in Jesus name yeah, thank you Father thank you Jesus thanks Jesus I'm just going to take a, a couple more minutes and just felt like it's an opportunity. I'm just going to call for the prayer team. I don't think it's necessary today. We'll have people available to pray for you if you need it for sure. But I felt like this was an opportunity to, to take those things that have gotten our attention, that have created patterns of, of hopelessness and even depression and, and, and bad thinking, the things that we've focused in on that in this natural realm that have robbed us of hope and joy, I felt like it's an opportunity to lay them at the feet of Jesus as an offering, to lay them down right at His feet. Just envision it as an altar of sacrifice. We're just going to give those things up and choose Him instead. Choose Him in place of those things. I'm not saying that the situation will change. I'm not saying it won't. I'm not saying that it won't still try to steal your attention. I'm sure that it will. But in doing this, I feel like it's going to break the power of that thing, even strongholds for some of us that it's had over us. 
that's felt like it's been impossible to focus on Jesus because the situation was so overwhelming. The circumstance was so overwhelming that had so much of our attention for so long, it felt like I'm not going to be able to focus anywhere else. I can tell you that that's, that may feel true, but it's not. And so if you would with me, I believe that while I was talking, Holy Spirit has already brought those things up to you, what you need to lay down at Jesus' feet. We're just going to do this together. And so Jesus, we bring these things right now to this altar of sacrifice at your feet. Everything that's, that's robbed, everything that's robbed us of being able to focus on you that's stolen joy and hope from us, everything that's gotten too much of my attention, I lay down at your feet right now. Just do that in your own way, whatever that looks like for you. You can come up here to the altar and do it. You can do it in your seat. You can do it standing, sitting, laying. It doesn't matter. It's not about your body position. It's about your heart. So we lay these things at your feet right now, Jesus. We lay these things at your feet. We give them to you. And we exalt you above them all. And we choose to focus in on you. I thank you for strongholds breaking right now. Thank you for strongholds breaking right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for deadly distractions being broken right now. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, that fire always falls on sacrifice. And so not only do we lay these things at your feet, but we lay ourselves at your feet. And we surrender all over again, Jesus. We surrender this little bitty life to you all over again for you to do whatever you want with it. You have our yes. Pray that I can say this for everybody. We give you our yes before you even ask the question. We give you our yes and our surrender. We pray that you send down fresh fire on these sacrifices, these human sacrifices. We pray that you send down fresh fire, Father. So we'd not only burn, but we'd be consumed by you. We don't want to just burn for you. We want to be consumed by you in every single way. So I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to lay our lives down again, to choose to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our spiritual act of worship. Yeah, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. We say yes to it all. We say yes to it all. We give you our minds, Jesus. We give you full authority. We give you full access to our minds. Yeah, thank you. 
thank you. Thank you. you, no one beside you, no one but you that can fulfill us, complete us, no one but you, Jesus, no one but you, help us remind our souls of that, (laughs) help us remind our souls of that, that you are the fulfillment, you're the only one that can quench our thirst. You're the only one that can fulfill us. The only one that can complete us. No one like you. Some of us, it may be time to go grab our kids. (laughs) I encourage you to do something, even if you need to go grab your kids. I encourage you to do something. We don't teach a lot, but I'm going to teach on it soon. It's called praying through. Intercessors know what that is, but it's not just for intercessors. It's for everyone. And honestly, I need to do a better job of teaching what it is to pray. It's not just a five-minute conversation at times. Sometimes it's praying until you feel a release. And so I encourage you to pray until you feel a release. Maybe you already have. That's fine. I'm not saying it takes a long time, but, but there's not a set amount of time on it. So if it takes you a little bit longer, that's okay. I encourage you to stay in that place of praying until you feel the release of knowing that you laid those things at his feet and not just laid them there, but left them. Always going to have a choice to pick them back up. Always. But when I pray until I feel that release, oftentimes it makes it easier not to pick those things back up and to choose him instead to fulfill me to be my joy he's enough (laughs) he's enough he really is enough I'm not saying it because the Bible says it I'm saying because I know it's true no amount of money in the world that can take his place won't fulfill me (laughs) I've had a lot of stuff never fulfilled me A lot of good things, a lot of good people in my life bring me a lot of joy. They don't fulfill me like he does. So Father, we thank you that in this moment you're teaching us how to pray through. 
thank you. For everybody else, you guys got to go. Yeah, by all means, you know, we bless you guys. We release you. Don't feel obligated because other people are praying through. If you got somewhere to be or you just need to get to lunch, I get that too. No condemnation. <laughs> it's whatever you need to do. You are completely released the service, even online. We love you guys. We're going to shut the live feed off. We bless you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.org.